السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so inshallah ta'ala today we're going to um, finish uh, the tafsir of Surah Al-Qari'ah bi-idhnillahi ta'ala but before we do that um, I want to speak very briefly about uh, the situation that we're, we're going through as you can see um, you know I'm at home in my study, in my library and that's because we have uh, in the UK all of our masajid have closed down so all of our masajid have stopped praying salah and Jumu'ah prayer and so on and so forth and that's been the case for a few days but last night in the UK it came into effect uh, by a government uh, directive that asked people to close down any non-essential um, stores and shops or in the UK other than supermarkets and pharmacies and so on essential items uh, everything else is closed in the UK so uh, this is a, a situation that we've been going through as as you know most of you are aware um, for some time now and one of the things that um, we just released, uh, myself and, and a few of um, other shuyukh, is a, a paper on this uh, topic of COVID-19, which is the name of the virus, the coronavirus that's going around, uh, and a paper on the issue of the mindset that a Muslim should have, important etiquettes to remember, and some of the main fiqh rulings as it relates to our salah, our tahara, for example, um, burials and janaiz, uh, some of the issues to do with buying and selling and so on. And that's something which is available now, inshallah ta'ala, if you go onto my Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash sh ahsan hanif, or if you go through um, to, uh, I think Al-Maghrib Institute will have it up there shortly as well, as well as prophetic guidance within the next day or so. Uh, that's something which you can inshallah ta'ala use and benefit from it's meant to be for the general public it's something which is meant to be for wide use and it's something which i just want to touch upon uh, slightly today inshallah ta'ala before we uh, continue with our tafsir this issue that we're facing uh, this trial this tribulation this challenge that we're facing is something which is unprecedented in our times most of us have never seen or perhaps never even imagined that we would see something like this it's almost from something out of a book or a movie some kind of fiction that someone wrote we never thought that we would experience this even though throughout history there have been epidemics and plagues and mass flu uh, pandemics like the spanish flu and so on that's something which has happened in history but it hasn't happened for many many decades and it's not something which we thought that we would see in our lifetime but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees and Allah azza wa is the one who decides what takes place and when it takes place and how it takes place and Allah azza wa tells us in the Quran those are the days that we rotate amongst people we have days of ease and felicity and happiness and joy and then days of hardship and that's as true as it is in our personal lives in our personal situations as it is at a communal and societal level when all of us go through something like we are doing at the moment that affects more or less everyone in different ways and in many ways so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in times like this this is the time that Allah azza wa really wants to see what we're made of this is the time and that's why the first portion of the paper speaks about mindset speaks about the mindset of the Muslim speaks about our mindset in terms of in terms of 
the way that we react to such a thing because you have and as you've probably seen perhaps from the people that you know online or social media people react in many different ways and people's mindsets and the way that they approach something like this varies in, in different ways you have people who go to sometimes an extreme in being nonchalant and you know they don't really think that it's a big deal and they don't really heed any advice and they don't pay attention to any directives or any information that's put out there and they're going about as if everything is normal uh, and as one of the um, politicians said in the UK if you're going around as normal living your life as is normal especially in the UK and I'm sure it applies to many other countries the US and Canada and Australia and many other places where this is kind of rife at the moment if you're going around as normal then you're not really listening to the advice that's out there things shouldn't be normal and that's the case the fact that we can't pray our prayers in the masjid the fact that this class isn't being done from the hikmah center as it's been for more or less every single class since we launched our quranic progression last year and instead i'm doing it from my home not because i'm traveling or because i'm ill alhamdulillah or any other reason other than the fact that it is not allowed for me to go out and it's not possible for the masjid to hold this class if it's uh, the fact that we can't even pray jum'ah prayer which is the most important obligation on a weekly basis that the Muslim male has that they go to the masjid and pray Salatul Jumu'ah the fact that we're having to change the rulings of our janais and our burials we can't gather together for weddings we can't have aqiqah parties we can't do so many of the things that we have become accustomed to and taken granted, taken for granted that shows that this is a major issue that's going on and then you have at the same time other people who their reaction to something like this is that they lose hope and that they become very down and that they become very anxious and worried and yes anxiety and worry in a situation like this is normal to an extent but at the same time our religion is a religion that tells us that everything that happens comes from Allah that we should trust in Allah that we should have decrees uh, we should have um, our certainty in the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that what Allah azza wa jal has decreed for us is always better and good for us I received a message from one of my sheikhs in Saudi Arabia today and as you may or may not know in Saudi Arabia there too there's no salah in a masjid so it's not just the UK there too there's no Jumu'ah prayer in a masjid there too in Saudi Arabia uh, they don't they're not having gatherings or talks or lectures or conferences anymore even the two harams in Mecca and Medina Masjid al-Haram and Masjid al-Nabawi it's not allowed for hardly most people to come in and pray there other than the workers and the cleaners who are there and the Imam and a few officials that's all the people that are being allowed into the two harams and there's nowhere more sacred and nowhere more blessed and nowhere, nowhere more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than those two places of those two cities of Mecca and Medina so we have therefore uh, the point that I was making that one of my teachers in Saudi Arabia he was saying to me and they're currently under curfew from, I don't know, from 7, 8 p.m. until the morning, till Fajr, there is a curfew where they're not allowed to leave their houses. But he sent me a very nice message. It was on a different issue, not on this, but he was making dua generally for the Muslims. And he said that, I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings a quick end to this issue and that our, our state after this will be better than our state before it. And that is the beauty of Islam and that is the beauty of knowledge. It is the beauty of understanding the texts of the Quran and the Sunnah. One of the things that I, I want to bring to our attention and it's something which we haven't really focused on because it is very difficult and hard and challenging and because there are real worries and real anxieties that shouldn't be 
downplayed or dismissed. But at the same time, our religion tells us to also have a tafa'ul, to be positive, to hope in Allah, and to know that whatever we're going through, if you are suffering from a difficulty, if you've been afflicted by this illness, or you know someone, or you're one of those people that has had to make drastic changes to your life, you're one of those people who perhaps your income is under threat or has been threatened or you're already out of a job because of this or you don't know when that next paycheck may come or whatever it may be, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only decrees something like this for the believer because Allah azza wa jal wants good for them. And so despite all of that difficulty, the Muslim is someone who always hopes in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places before them. The Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Allah azza wa jal sometimes or for some people Allah has assigned for them a level in Jannah that they will not reach or attain by the virtue of their own deeds. Their deeds, their good deeds, their hasanat are not enough to take them to that level of Jannah that Allah wants for them. So instead Allah places upon them trials and hardship through their patience, they will attain that level of Jannah. That is our religion being extremely positive, even in times like this. The Prophet told us وسلم, let none of you die except that they think good of Allah. And in the Hadith Al-Qudsi, Allah says, abdi bi. I am as my servant thinks of me, so let him think as he wishes of me. In times like this, it is difficult to come down, it is difficult to sometimes remember that positiveness, or that positivity rather, that, we, that is inherent and part, and part and parcel of our religion. But it is also part of the way that we deal with this. So yes, even the Prophet ﷺ, in the most difficult of circumstances, circumstances which were extremely difficult and lasted for many years, in which there was a real and present threat and danger to his life and the life of his loved ones and his companions and the Muslims in general, whether it be so, uh, social embargoes or economic embargoes or political problems that they were facing or armies uh, invading their city of Medina or the, the battles that they faced, the Prophet through them is serious at times of seriousness, but in, at the same time, he finds time, as you find in the Sunnah, when you take it in its totality and you understand it in its comprehensive nature. He finds time to be with his wives, to, to enjoy time with them, to be with his children and his grandchildren and to play with them and to laugh and to joke and to spend time with his companions and hear their stories and narrate stories to them and so on. It wasn't just all pressure, pressure, pressure or all anxiety, anxiety and worry. The Prophet would respond in that way. So in the paper we speak about a number of things in terms of mindset and I'm not going to go through the whole thing inshallah ta'ala, it's available and you can read it. But that is a point that I wanted to mention. In the Battle of Ahzab, when the Prophet and the Muslims in Medina are surrounded by the confederation of armies that have come to attack the Muslim capital, they've come to attack the Muslim state. And they've come not only with the intention of attacking, but of decimating and destroying Islam and killing the Prophet and Muslims, and to be done once and for all with this whole issue of Islam. The Prophet as we know, because another name of that battle is the Battle of Khandaq or Trench, he commanded the companions to dig a trench around a whole section of Medina. That section of Medina that they're digging a trench in, which is deep and wide so that no one can pass over no one can come and enter into the city of Medina from that direction. It took them days and weeks to dig. And the companions in a state of hunger, rationing food, a lack of food, a lack of supplies, 
are there digging every single day, which shows you an amazing lesson that even in times like this, the companions of the Prophet wouldn't be like, we don't have enough food, so we're not going to do anything. We don't have enough food, so I'm not going to work, or I'm not going to study, or I'm not going to worship Allah or I'm not going to do whatever it may be. In fact, they're doing even more. As we know in the narration, the companions said that we used to tie rocks and stones around our stomachs because of the severe pangs of hunger. And I saw that the Prophet ﷺ had two stones tied around his belly. That's because the Prophet ﷺ is experiencing what they're experiencing and more than what they are experiencing But even despite that, the companions say in that narration that we came across a boulder that despite striking it and hitting it, we couldn't break it down. So we told the Prophet ﷺ to come and he came. And so he came and he struck the rock, the boulder, and a piece of it shattered and he said, Allahu Akbar. Glory be to Allah. Allah is great. Indeed, I see the treasures of Byzantine, of Byzantia, of the Byzantine Roman Empire coming to us. And then he struck the rock again. And he said, Allahu Akbar, Allah is great. I see the treasures of the Persians coming to us. And the Persians and the Byzantine Romans at that time are the two superpowers of that world. The Muslims are in a state where they don't have enough food. They're muddy. And, and, and disheveled and dusty because they're digging deep down into the ground, a white trench. They don't have anything and they're being attacked by their enemies and they're literally on the defensive in terms of their state. And the Prophet is prophesizing. He's showing them hope. He's giving them hope. He's speaking about something which seems at that moment very far-fetched, that they will not only overcome Quraysh, not only overcome everyone else in the Arabian Peninsula, but they will go all the way to the frontiers of the Persian and the Roman empires as well. But that is, as we know in our history, that is what took place. The Prophet's prophecy came true. But look at how it is at that moment, in that situation, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet that inspiration to speak in that way, in that positivity, and to speak in that manner about that issue. And that's also something which is important for us to remember. Even in times like this, you know, there's there's something that we all need to do and that is to have that positivity within us not to downplay the seriousness of the issue not to ignore what's being said those are two different things to think that everything's okay and to ignore things and say i'm positive isn't what we're speaking about and nor is that positivity and nor is it tawakkul in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you don't take the means and the and the ways that you should in order to ensure that you are safe and to keep your family safe that's not considered part of tawakkul the Prophet told us وسلم, if you were to truly trust in Allah as the birds trust, then Allah would provide for you as He provides for them. They leave in the morning. They trust in Allah, but they still leave. They still fly out every morning on an empty belly and they return satiated and full. And that's because they take action and they take the necessary steps that are required within the tawakkul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But with, alongside understanding the issue of patience and pleasing tawakkul in Allah and being pleased with Allah's decree and so on, the Prophet also teaches us to have a level of positivity. Most of us are you know, perhaps stuck at home, we're with our families, we're with our children, we're in a tight confined space, we can't really go out, we're not working probably, perhaps some of us, we're not visiting anyone, we're not seeing family, we're not seeing friends, our children aren't going to school. And so you're in a very confined space. It is very important to keep up that positivity by doing things that are positive. And that brings me on to the second point, and that is, or the second section of the paper, and that is etiquettes that we spoke about. Etiquettes are extremely important. Adab, mannerisms, 
our religion is a religion of mannerisms. The Prophet told us وسلم, that there will be nothing heavy on the scales on the day of judgment min husnil khuluq, from good character than good character. Having good adab, good mannerisms, good etiquettes are not just things that you have in times of ease or with people who it's easy to be good to and respectful with, people who perhaps have more money than you or more power than you or in a position of authority over you and so you feel that you have to show them that respect and etiquette. Real good etiquette comes in times of hardship and difficulty when you're thinking of only yourself and those that you love and are dear to you. To then have good etiquettes in the way that you deal with others, with your, with the people around you, with society in general, the way that you think of others, the empathy that you show, the love, the kindness, the consideration, the mercy that you show towards others, that is the time of true etiquette. The Prophet told us وسلم, the one who is strong is not the one who can overcome someone else in a wrestling match, can beat someone down. The one who is strong is the one who can suppress their anger even though they have the ability to exact it. And we've all seen those videos online, social media, YouTube, news channels have even shown us those videos of people and the way that they're panic buying and the way that they're jostling and hitting and shoving and pushing and so on. That's not the etiquettes of a Muslim. And there are Muslims, unfortunately, within those videos as well, in Muslim areas, in Muslim communities that are behaving like that. What kind of adab is that? What have we learned from our Prophet wasallam? who even, as is mentioned in the long hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, even his greatest enemies like Abu Sufyan before he becomes a Muslim, when he goes to the leader of Rome and he's in his court and he's asked to speak about the Prophet can only speak the truth and can only be praiseworthy of him because that's the reality of the Prophet even with his enemies, he had that amazing akhlaq alayhi salatu wasalam. Etiquettes are extremely important in the way that we behave in the way that we show our mannerisms, in the way that we deal with the issues that we're dealing with, it is extremely important to have that amazing akhlaq that we all know of, that it isn't even something that we need to be taught about in terms of you know being Islamic and Quran and Sunnah. Many of them are human basic characteristics of goodness and kindness that we should have, that we should be caring and considerate and know that there are people out there who are also in need, like we are in need and perhaps even more so. And people are also in similar situations and perhaps more dire than we are in. And to show that good character and to show that adab, to show that type of goodness and compassion and, 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 and helpfulness, that is a part of Islam. And in times like this, it is inshallah ta'ala more rewarding than it would be otherwise. It is more rewarding for you in times like this to show that type of compassion and to show that ease because it is a principle within our sharia that when things are more difficult to do that same action within difficulty, inshallah ta'ala, brings you greater rewards so long as it is not detrimental to yourself. And that's why giving sadaqah, for example, in a time like this is more important and it is more crucial. And that's why Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala and others from amongst the scholars of Islam have mentioned that it is a principle within our religion that in times of hardship to actually give more, and to show more kindness and to show more goodness and compassion is one of the ways that we lift off trials and crises from our shoulders and from those around us. The Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِنَّ الصَّدَقَةَ لَيُطْفِئُ غَضَبَ الرَّبِّ كَمَا يُطْفِئُ الْمَاءَ النَّارِ وَكَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامِ Indeed, charity extinguishes the wrath of Allah and His anger the way that water extinguishes fire.
That's a hadith. The Prophet told us, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sana'ul Ma'rufi Taqi Maqari Masari'ul Su'. Those acts of kindness and goodness prevent evil consequences and evil, evil endings. To do good in times like this, to be helpful, as the companions were, in the most in times of the most difficulty when they would find someone that they could help they would find people in need they would find the poor around them the weak they would help them even more despite the fact that they had very little again look at that battle of Ahzab when the companions are extremely hungry and one of those companions from the Ansar his wife says to him that we have some extra food why don't you invite the Prophet just him to come to our house and to eat with us so he goes very quietly and he speaks to the Prophet ﷺ quietly, not wanting to alert the other companions because he doesn't have enough for a hundred or a thousand of them. He only has enough for one extra person. The Prophet ﷺ, when he hears the invitation from this companion, he announces out loud to the community that they're being invited for dinner. And the Prophet ﷺ is absent-minded. He's not someone who doesn't, doesn't, isn't switched on, doesn't understand what this man is doing and his situation and his own needs. So he says to him, when you go home, say to your family, don't do anything with the food until I first come and I do something. Don't touch the food, don't dish it out, don't plate it up, don't do anything. And so the companion goes back and he tells his wife, they're all coming. And you can imagine what she must think and what they must be thinking at that time. The Prophet ﷺ is coming with these droves of companions. He comes to the food, he recites upon it, he blows in it. And it is enough not only for the family and for him alayhi salatu wasalam but for that community of companions that accompanied him radiallahu anhum ajma'in. That is compassion and that is kindness. And that's when you see the needs of others and you understand where they come from as well. And that's why it's also important to remember these etiquettes, especially in times like this, especially in times of when we're being asked and, and, and you know everyone's under the microscope and you go out and everyone's perhaps watching each other. This is the time to show to people the beauty of our religion, the beauty of the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ and the way that we just act, the way that we just behave, the way that we deal with other people and with one another in terms of not only the wider etiquettes in society but even etiquettes within our home. It's very easy to snap at your family at a time like this with your children, to become upset, to perhaps have a short fuse and we're all guilty of that and we ask Allah to forgive us all and to shower his mercy upon all of us. But it's important, as it is for our children, our spouses, everyone else, because we're all in similar situations and the pressures are differing, but also the same for many people in, in terms of what they bring and how they, how they change the dynamics of households and families and so on. It is important to remember those issues. The Prophet wasallam, Aisha radiallahu anha, was asked about him. How was he when he was at home? And he would, she would say, كان في خدمتي أهلي. He used to be in the service of his family and that's despite all of the pressures outside, that's despite the political situation, that that's despite the military situation and the and the worries that they have of constant attack from enemy forces, that that's despite the poverty of many of the Muslims and the weakness that is that some of them have because of their situation. Despite that, the Prophet still finds time to be good to his family, to his children, to care for his friends, to joke with them, to visit the sick and the elderly and the poor and to help the orphans and the needy. That is Islam. And so our religion is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in times like this, in times of difficulty, and especially if you are one of those people that really is 
facing that difficulty, if you're not and Allah Azza wa Jal has saved you, then thank Allah and ask Allah for his protection and ask Allah Azza wa Jal for his safety. But if you're in one of those situations or you're in a community like we are in the UK where it's just a general blanket rule and we're all of differing levels and differing uh, at differing rates dealing with this issue, it is important to remember these etiquettes and there are many more that inshallah ta'ala you will find in the paper as well. Finally, the last thing that comes on that we come on to in terms of the paper is then fiqh rulings. And it's something which I mentioned last week uh, in the class that we had and I, I want to reiterate this again because it is so important. And that is that we really understand the beauty of our religion and the importance of Islamic knowledge and uh, grounded, structured, classical Islamic knowledge at a time like this. The fatwas that you've been hearing about and reading whether it's the suspension of services in Masajid, the suspension of Salatul Jumu'ah, the change that is uh, happening and being and, and going to continue to happen around burials, washing, shrouding, janazah prayers, uh, burial itself, the burying of the of the body, condolences, the whole issue, uh, you know, buying, selling, there are issues of zakah, there are so many issues that are coming into play here. Those fatawa that you've been hearing, those Islamic rulings that you've been hearing are what the scholars have deduced from the rulings that they find within the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet based on the understanding of those classical early Muslim scholars who laid down for us principles and rules and foundations upon which we base our religion. And so the paper doesn't go into the whole issue of evidences and so on because it's not meant to be a deep academic paper. It's meant to be, inshallah ta'ala, something which is easily accessible and understandable and relatable to most people. But rest assured that that's where it comes from. So whether it's rulings of how to do tiyamum if you're sick and you're self-isolating and you don't have access, you can't, you're not well enough to be able to go out and touch you know, soil and sand and so on. How do you make tiyamum uh, from issues of you know, even shaking hands, this whole issue which, you know, kind of now, inshallah ta'ala, I hope has become at least understood by most people. But at the beginning, it was difficult for people to understand this issue of we shouldn't shake hands when we greet each other with the salam. Or if someone outstretches their hand to give me salam, how do I respond? Can I refuse? Can I hold my hand back and say, no, actually, I don't feel comfortable in the current situation replying to your salam by shaking your hand. In terms of the whole issue of salah, how do we pray at home? Uh, does the adhan change in the masjid if there is no one to pray in the masjid and the adhan is still being given? Uh, Jum'ah prayer, can we pray? You know, one of the questions that's been quite common now is can we pray with a jama'ah online? Can we pray Jum'ah prayer? E-Jum'ah is being called or online Jum'ah or virtual Jum'ah or remote Jum'ah, all of these different names. Can we pray Jum'ah at a distance? If someone's giving a Jum'ah, I don't know, in, in two, three miles away in a masjid and it's being live streamed, can I pray with them at home? These are all issues that are coming up and inshallah ta'ala they're being they're dealt with within this paper. And that's because we need to understand the, the importance of our religion. And if there's one thing that I hope, inshallah ta'ala, uh, that we take from this difficulty and from this crisis, it is the crucial role of our masajid, our imams, our shuyukh, our da'is, our speakers, the crucial role that they play within our communities. Because otherwise, we would be lost and we wouldn't know. And one of the reasons of putting out this paper is to give people that guidance rather than people having to take from different sources and from, you know, in drips and, and, and drabs. It is something which is important for us to understand. The role of the masjid, what it plays and how central it is to our community. The role of the imam and qualified Muslim scholars who give those rulings and give guidance and tell people what they can do and can't do and should do and shouldn't do. 
That is so important because in a time like this, all of us, all of us want to be pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because by pleasing Allah azza wa it is one of the greatest ways of removing this affliction and calamity from us. And to increase in evil, those people who are billah, even in a time like this, and you sometimes you may see them on your streets and in your communities, people who seem to be even in a time like this heedless and of Allah azza wa absolutely negligent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the signs of Allah azza wa and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending them of such a great sign and that is when the heart becomes so hardened and so distant from Allah's remembrance that even the greatest of signs don't benefit that person and that's what Allah azza wa calls it in the, in the, in the Quran as qaswat al-qulub and Allah azza wa describes it in the Quran as being harder than rocks hearts harder than rocks because even rocks humble themselves before Allah even rocks burst forth with, with water by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but those hearts that have become hardened they don't and even in time like this they don't and the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when the eclipse took place in his time in the shams of al-qamara ayatani min ayatillah yukhawwifu bihima ibadah Allah azza wa jal has made the, the sun and the moon two of his signs that he casts fear into the hearts of the people through them this is a time when we should turn back to Allah Azza wa Jal, increase in tawbah, increase in istighfar, increase in good deeds, increase in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and making dua, sending salat upon the Prophet reading the Quran, studying Islam. We have the opportunity now, the time, and this is from the etiquettes that we have, using the time, the extra time that we now have because we can't go to the gym and we can't play sports and we can't visit family, we can't socialize. What are we going to do with that time? Are we going to spend it just watching TV on Netflix, on YouTube? Or are we actually going to take it and use it to benefit ourselves and learn even more and benefit ourselves by coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And I honestly don't see the excuse now that many people you know, had, whether legitimately or otherwise, of not having the time to study, not having the time to attend or watch classes like these, not having the time to read Quran or learn Tajweed or memorize Quran. Allah Azza wa Jal is testing us now to see whether we're truthful in those claims and in those intentions or whether it was all verbal and nothing more. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us at this time to see how we perform. And finally, one of the other issues that we also mentioned in detail, and it's something which I just want to uh, touch upon as well, and Sheikh Isa has already done so in his uh, videos and so on. But it, it's something which is very important, and that is this issue of mass buying and panic buying. To the extent that there are certain things which, despite your best efforts in certain places and certain communities and certain parts of the UK, especially, I don't know about elsewhere, uh, but certain things that you can't find and, and supermarkets have run out of them, not because from what they're saying, there is a lack of that uh, product in stock, but because they cannot fulfill their shelves and their, their, their logistical supply chain, cannot cope with the demands that are being placed on it. And that's because people are literally going and or at least were because now a lot of these supermarkets have restrictions in place but people are literally going and buying and buying and buying the same product more and more like over and over again 15 20 20 uh, of the same item in a single shop in a single stroke and that's something again which comes into those issue of mindset comes into the issue of etiquettes of empathy of thinking of others of helping others of being mindful of the needs of others who perhaps aren't as mobile as you who perhaps can't go to the shops as much as you, who perhaps are self-isolating and have asked other people to go on their behalf to buy what they need to buy. And they can't find anything because 
of this issue of panic buying if it leads to a lack of of uh, of that product being available for other people and you've taken more than your need and you don't need it it's not something which is a reasonable amount for you to have in stock in store for you and your family because a reasonable amount is reasonable but to do it more than that and there's no need for you and there's not a panic in terms of there is not a shortage of that product but you're just hoarding it that is not allowed in Islam it's not allowed in Islam to do so and another issue which is linked to that somewhat is the inflation of prices if there is no shortage of supply. In some places, you know, we've heard that, for example, in meat shops and, and, and halal butchers and so on, the price of meat is going up drastically because they're claiming that there is a shortage of meat. And if there is not a shortage of meat or if they're withholding that product or if there's something untoward going on within that process, then that is something which is called التسعير or احتكار in the Arabic, uh, in the Shari'ah in the Shari and it's haram, the Prophet ﷺ forbade that that a person inflates prices artificially because they're taking advantage of the situation that people are in the point is that these and other issues are mentioned within that paper and it's extremely important for us to be aware of them and to know them because the way that we come closer to Allah in times like this is by obeying him to the best of our ability and finally I want to conclude on the issue of the fact that most of us are feeling uh, you know with all of these issues we feel uh, or perhaps some of us or many of us will feel a certain lack of uh, of taqwa of iman a certain downheartening of reward because we know that we can't go to the masjid we're not praying Jum'ah as we should there's certain things that we would should be doing but we can't do that will affect janazas it will affect so many different aspects of of our Islamic life and our worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's just to reassure you that our, our religion is amazing and beautiful in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Rahim and Allah is merciful and Allah is Al-Kareem and He is generous subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah rewards people for their intentions and sometimes your intention will give you a greater reward than your action will ever do if you intend really to help people even though you're not able to, perhaps for whatever reason, if your intention is to have been there for, for the, the Jumu'ah prayer in the masjid or for the Jama'ah prayer in the masjid, your intention was to do whatever it is that you wanted to do and come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially as this crisis may roll on towards Ramadan and then it affects Taraweeh and it affects our fasting and it may affect Eid and Allah Azza wa knows best. That assurance that we have within our Sharia that confidence in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy that the Prophet told us وسلم, that if a person who used to do an action whilst they were resident and whilst they were healthy and then stops that action for a valid excuse like travel or illness Allah will give them their full reward and that is from the, the, uh, the beauty of our sharia and from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's something which um, we should also bear in mind especially in times like this that Allah insha'Allah will give us a reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this difficulty a means of expiating our sins, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward us for our patience, for our tawakkul in Him, for our pleasure in His decree subhanahu wa ta'ala, being content with what Allah has decreed for us, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward us for our etiquettes and our mannerisms and the way that we behave and deal with others in this difficult time, and Allah will reward us for following uh, you know, for, for, for understanding his religion and following those rulings of fiqh that we need to understand and abide by and follow 
in times like this, Allah Azza tells us in the Quran, Allah Fear Allah to the best of your ability. And so we fear Allah Azza wa as much as we can, and we do our level best in terms of pleasing Him and worshipping Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. A final point on um, on the paper, uh, it was prepared by myself and written by myself, but it was peer-reviewed by a number of our uh, esteemed shuyukh and uh, speakers and scholars. Uh, Sheikh Walid Basuni, who I'm sure uh, most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with, the Vice President of Al-Maghrib Institute, Sheikh Walid Al-Basuni from Walid Basuni from Houston, Texas in the USA, a well-known uh, speaker, well-known um, sheikh, uh, someone who's an expert in fiqh. He's also one of the um, members of the Amja Fiqh Council or Fiqh, um, uh, yeah, fiqh Council in, in the United States, which is the American Muslim Jurists Assembly in the USA. And he's someone who is a good and dear friend of mine and someone who I benefited greatly from his advice and from his, um, from his suggestions. It's also been reviewed by Sheikh Abu Isa, our very own Sheikh Abu Isa, Ni'matullah, from Manchester, who does logical progression, as you know, uh, tomorrow. And I think he will also uh, speak about some of these issues, I'm sure, in his class, as he's been doing now for a while. Uh, he also had a great deal to do with this paper and his suggestions and his improvements and just generally his um, observations were very much appreciated. It was also reviewed by Sheikh Sajid Ahmad Umar, from the UK, who's um, currently uh, finishing off his PhD in the Islamic University uh, in the uh, in the University in Riyadh, Muhammad ibn Saud, Islamic University of Riyadh. He's doing his PhD there. Um, he's someone who I'm sure many of you will know. He's a, an instructor for the Kothar Institute um, and an international speaker, and also someone who has a very good and deep academic background. His specialty also is in fiqh. He also reviewed this, and finally. Uh, last but not least, Sheikh Imtiaz Damiel from Blackburn in the UK, who is a graduate of a, another university in Riyadh, King Saud University, and he's the director of Abu Hanifa Foundation in Blackburn. He also reviewed the paper as well. And that was there to make sure that, inshallah ta'ala, it has uh, the assurances that we all need, including myself, to make sure that, inshallah ta'ala, from the issue of etiquettes down to the issue of fiqh rulings, it's something which, inshallah ta'ala, we can have the confidence then inshallah ta'ala it is something which we can rely on, something that we can take on board and something that we can benefit from bithnillahi ta'ala. Okay, um, and, and, and finally, and you know, coming on to our class inshallah ta'ala, which I'm hoping inshallah ta'ala today we will finish Surah Al-Qari'ah. We don't have much left in terms of the tafsir of these last two or three verses. But one of the great things that we can do during this time and one of the most important and beneficial things that we can do is use this time to come closer to the book of Allah Azza wa Jal by reading more Qur'an, by connecting with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by learning tafsir and studying the book of Allah azza wa jal, so many of these etiquettes, so many of these lessons, so many you know, of the of the issues that we're facing, you can just take from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, you know, I saw a post yesterday, um, just from the story of uh, Sulaiman alayhi salam and the ants that Allah azza wa jal mentions in Surah Al-Naml, when the queen ant sees Sulaiman alayhi salam and his army coming towards them, and she says to the queen ant, says speaking to uh, the colony of ants, "Udhulu masakinakum, la yhtimanakum Sulaimanu wa junuduhu wa hum la yashurun." Enter into your hole, into your burrow, and or into your colony. Go back home, uh, lest Sulaiman and his army should trample upon you without realizing. Showing that in times of difficulty, in times of fear, in times of danger, when there is a real danger out there. It is from the etiquettes that we find in the Qur'an to actually stay home, 
So when we're being advised as Muslims or just generally in society, stay home, it's safer for you, it's safer for the emergency services, it's safer for society in general by staying home and coming out of your home only for need and necessity and as little as possible. That is something which we find in the Quran. So by using this time, listening to lectures, studying Quran, and you know, obviously our passion in QP is studying tafsir, and that's something which I, I hope that inshallah ta'ala you will continue to do outside of this class and in this class and to revise the notes that we've been going through. There's two years of notes more or less that you can go through and there's plenty of other material inshallah ta'ala that you can also benefit from. That's something which we really need to connect to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the book of Allah azza wa is all blessed and it is all light and guidance and mercy. And by using the Quran in our du'as, Surah Fatiha, Ayat Al-Kursi, Ikhlas, Falaq Nas, by making the adhkar that we have within the Qur'an, by making the du'as of the Qur'an, رَبَّنَا أَتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنًا وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ Using the du'as of being, being steadfast upon Islam and uh, mercy and forgiveness and all of those du'as that Allah Azza wa has related to us in the Qur'an, it is one of the greatest means of coming through this difficulty and this challenge and this trial. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. So back to our... Um, Tafsir of Surah Al-Qari'ah, we were on the verse فَأُمُّهُ هَاوِيَ We spoke last week about the verse وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ Allah Azza wa is speaking about those people whose scale of deeds will be light, whose deeds will be light on that day. And Allah Azza wa Jal, as we said, the scholars differ as to what is to be weighed on that day. Is it actions? Is it people? Or is it the record of deeds? And we said that the correct opinion in that is, and Allah knows best, that it is all three that Allah can weigh because we have a hadith that speak about all three of them that are authentic. Allah Azza wa Jalla speaks about those people whose, whose scales will be light and he says, They will have a bottomless pit for his home, for their abode. And we mentioned last week and where we kind of stopped was the issue of, uh, or the slight difference of opinion amongst the scholars with tafsir as to the, the meaning of Ummuhu Hawiyah. And some of them said that Hawiya is a name from the names of the fire. Some of them specified it to be a level from the levels of the fire because just as Jann and Paradise has levels, then likewise the fire has levels as well. And others from amongst the scholars, um, they uh, said that it's a name of one of the gates of the fire and so on. That's one body of opinion. The second body of opinion is that the meaning of Ummuhu Hawiya is that when a person is thrown into the fire with Iyadu Billah, may Allah save us all from that, they are thrown head first. And that's because Um is in Arabic the most important affair. Right? It's the most important affair and it's the one that gives you most contentment, most protection and so on. And that's why a mother in our you know in Arabic is called Um because she's the one that you most need, especially as a child. And even when you grow up as an adult, sometimes when you're sick or you're really bad or you're really down, it's your mother that you cry out for. Right? And often it's your mother more than your father. You want to be with your mother. You want your mother to look after you. may well have your own children. but And if your parents are still alive and your mother is alive, you still have sometimes that feeling because of the protection that your mother gives to you despite how old she may have become and despite how weak herself she may have become. And that is because that is the meaning of um. So we said that those are two opinions. And uh, as we will mention now, um, the statements of the scholars concerning that Abdullah ibn Abbas said they will fall into a bottomless pit of the fire he said 
that the fire is called a mother of a person because that's where that person will be have their final abode. Just as a mother becomes almost like a place of abode for her child, the child will sit in her lap. She cradles the child in her arms. She is the one always constantly holding and hugging and giving protection and comfort to that child. For them, the people of the fire, the fire will be their abode. It will be their place, not of protection, not of tranquility, but it will be the place that they will constantly be within for the rest of eternity. Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, said the meaning for Ummu Hawiyah is that their abode will be the fire. <clears throat> and Qatada also said that the word Ummuhu or Umm in the Arabic language, the Arabs used to say it if something drastic took place or something major took place, a major affliction or calamity, they would say, Hawat bihi Ummuhu that this person is falling headfirst into this calamity. And that was one of the phrases that the Arabs would use uh, within their speech. Ta'ala gave the other opinion that we mentioned, that this person will fall headfirst into the fire of hell. And also Abu Saleh from the scholars of Tafsir also mentioned that. Ibn Ta'ala in his Tafsir, he mentions both opinions. He said many of the scholars of Tafsir, they said that the Hawiyah or the word Al-Hawiyah refers to the fire itself and that it is either a level from the levels of the fire or that it is a name of a portion of the fire, one of its gates or one of its levels and so on. He says, and that's because in Arabic language, the earth is also called Ummun Nas, Um, the mother of people, because everyone resides upon the earth and it's the place that it is the place of abode and residence. And... It's also mentioned as being something which is extremely important to someone. And that's why the Quran, Surah Al-Fatiha is called Ummul Quran, the mother of the Quran, because it is the most crucial and important surah within the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah gives the example of Utba ibn Abi Sufyan that he said concerning war, فَنَحْنُ بَنُوهَا وَهِيَ أُمُّنَا We are the children of war and war is our mother. In Arabic, meaning that it is extremely important. That's why they, they use the word uh, the word um to describe war for those people that consider it to be extremely important. And others, then he mentions the other opinion of Abu Salih and others, that they said amongst the scholars of Tafsir that the meaning of ummuhu hawiya is that when a person falls into the fire, they will fall head in first. Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his Tafsir, he combines between the two. And as we've repeated many a time now, that it is uh, extremely important to understand that one of the principles and methodologies of tafsir amongst the scholars of tafsir is to reconcile and to combine two different opinions if it is possible to do so, because often they can be complementary to one another as opposed to being contradictory. So Imam al-Tabari says, that these people will fall uh, their final abode will be Al-Hawiyah, which is the fire. And as they enter into Al-Hawiyah, they will enter into it head first. So he combines the two. Al-Hawiyah refers to the fire. But also the manner of their entering into the fire is that Allah Azza wa will have them thrown into it head first. And that's because the head of a person is the most honorable part of their body. You hold your head up high, right? That's what we say in English. You hold your head up high. It's a sign of self-esteem and self-confidence. Sometimes it can even be a sign of pride and arrogance. It is your head that is held high. And that's why our our most important position of salah is in sujood, when your head is actually at its lowest point, 
humbling yourself before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is the closest place as the Prophet said to Allah, أَقْرَبُ مَا يَكُونُ الْعَبْدُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَهُوَ سَاجِدْ The closest place that a person will be to their Lord is when they're in that position of, of sajda. So Imam At-Tabri ta'ala is saying therefore that it is combining between the two. Al-Hawiyah is a name from the names of the fire and as they are thrown into the fire, the people of it, they will be thrown into it head first. وَالْعِيَاذُ billah. They will be thrown into it head first. And Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said that the fire is also called a hawiya because when a person falls into it, and this is also an important point as we mentioned last week when we mentioned some of the hadith from the sunnah that speak about the word hawa yahwi, the verb from the word hawiya, that he means to fall for a very long time. He says that it's called hawiya, and Imam Qurtubi says rahimahullah that it is called, the fire is called al hawiya because a person will fall into it and the depths, the bottom of it, is an extremely far, far distance. And we mentioned the hadith last week of the Prophet saying that some things will fall into the fire for 70 years. Sab'una kharifa, for 70 years. And that doesn't mean that that is the end of that falling because the hadith doesn't say that it reached the bottom. It says that it's been falling for 70 years. And Allah Azza knows best how long it continues. And that's with you know, um, with, with everything that falling entails of speed and, and velocity and so on. Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah ta'ala, said Hawiya in the Arabic language can also mean a crevice between mountains. So as you're walking in a mountain and sometimes there's a crack in the mountain, he said there is a crevice that if a person were to fall into it on an animal, it would be destroyed, it would die. It would be very unlikely that they would survive such a drop. That is, also, the meaning or in Arabic, in the Arabic language, one of the uses of the word hawiya. And Imam al-Baghawi ta'ala said, فَأُمُّهُ hawiya means that their abode will be the fire and they will stay therein. And it is likened to a mother because it is the place that they will continue to reside in forever. And Imam ibn Kathir ta'ala also takes the position of Imam al-Tabari and he combines between the two and reconciles between those two views and he says that person will fall head first into the fire of hell and they will fall within it. One of the um, interesting points that I also read about people falling head first into the fire is because the head obviously contains the brain right? and um, often those people who used to reject the prophets including our Prophet from the Quraysh would use their head to try to rationalize or try to reject using some type of intellectual proof um, what the Prophet was bringing. And they wouldn't, even though their hearts would yearn towards Islam and towards the character of the Prophet and towards the beauty of the Quran, their mind would always stop them. And that's why it's important in Islam that we have that balance between the two. We're not emotional without the mind and the rationale that it brings. And that's why our religion tells us to think and to understand and to contemplate and to reflect and so on. And at the same time, though, we're not people who are completely all about logic and so on because we understand the importance of faith and the importance of the unseen and the importance of having that sense of taqwa and iman within the heart. Those people who reject that, so some of the scholars said, that's also perhaps one of the reasons. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best, that's more a reflection as opposed to, uh, you know, like a position that you will find in the early classical works of tafsir. In the hadith al-Bukhari, on the authority of Abu Hurairah the Prophet said, a person may speak by a single word that brings about the pleasure of Allah that they don't pay any attention to, 
and Allah will raise them high in, in the levels of Jannah, right? Like in the time that we're in now. Just a kind word to someone, just saying something nice to someone, reassuring, positive to someone you can see is worried and really down. Just that single word, may Allah, Allah may, may, may uh, bring the pleasure of Allah to such a degree that Allah raises them to the highest levels of Jannah. And then the Prophet said, and a person may say a word that brings about the wrath and anger of Allah that they don't pay any attention to. They think that it is insignificant and they will fall. Yahweh biha fi jahannam. They will fall into the depths of the fire through it and because of it. And again in our time, just seeing things, spreading stuff online, things that are unsubstantiated, things that cause more panic and fear, things that don't help the situation. It's something which we will be held to account for and therefore it is something that we should be very careful about. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on and he says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَا what will explain to you what this is? So Allah Azza wa Jal says, "For Ummu Hawiya," and this is the third time now that Allah Azza wa Jal is, or the second, uh, yeah, this is the second time that Allah Azza wa Jal is using "Wa Ma but the third time that the question is being asked as to what is something. So Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that the name from the descriptions of the fire is that it is a bottomless pit. And then Allah says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَا What will explain to you what that is? So Imam Al-Tabari said again that Allah is saying to the Prophet وسلم, what will allow you to understand the gravity and the severity of what the fire is. And Ibn Ashur said, and Allah places after the ya a ha with a sukun on top. And that is called in Arabic ha sakt ha as-sakt. And it's from the rulings of Tajweed as well. And that's because the Arabs, when they, in pronouncing something, if they consider something to be uh, difficult to pronounce or difficult for it to roll off the tongue, they add this ha at the end just so that it's easier to say. So the actual word is here. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَا With the ya, ha and ya. Like huwa, here, right, he or she. It is, that's the actual word. The ha at the end has been added to make it easier to, to pronounce and easier to say and easier for it to roll off the tongue. Right? And so that's why we say وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَا And this is a way that the Arabs used to speak until now they still speak uh, like that in some of their dialects. They will add the ha at the end. Another example of this in the Quran is in Surah Al-Haqa where Allah Azza wa Jal says فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ فَيَقُولُ هَا أُمُقْرَأُ كِتَابِيَهِ the word itself is kitabi. They will say, look here, read our record of deeds. Right? That's the kitab, the record of deeds. Kitabi, my book, my record of deeds. But Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran, he puts a ha at the end to make it easier to read and for it to continue the rhyme or the rhythmical ending that is there within that portion of the surah. Iqra'u kitabiyah. Iqra'u kitabiyah. And that's why Ibn Ashur said that it's something which is done to make things easy for people to pronounce. And this is something which you know is one of those um, you know QP specials where we go into some of the principles of you know, some of the other sciences of of of, uh, of Quran. And one of them would be these types of issues or these types of linguistic issues of the Quran, these linguistic principles of the Quran that speak about mahiya, and you will find sometimes a difference in them amongst the Qur'an. So the Qira'at will have a difference 
especially if they're joining on to the next verse. So if they're joining on mahiyah, is it mahiyah narun with the ha, or do you remove the ha because you're joining on anyway, and therefore the difficulty of pronouncing is removed, and you say mahiyah narun, and you will find qiraat that do both, and so therefore that's a you know a slightly different issue that we can speak about. Sadiq Hassan Khan, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the scholars of tafsir, he said this question that Allah Azza wa Jal raises here, here, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَ is to show the importance of this issue and to once again attract attention to the severity of the matter. And as we said at the beginning of Surah Al-Qari'ah, a few weeks ago when Allah Azza wa Jal says مَا الْقَارِعَةِ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَةِ it is to show the importance of what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala was speaking about there from Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And now we have the same about the Hawfaya because again of the severity of the issue Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then concludes with the verse Narun Hamiyah, it is a blazing fire. And Imam Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said, it is blazing because of how much of the fuel it has been placed within it. And Allah Azza wa Jal tells us in the Quran, Save yourselves and your families from the fire, its fuel is people and stones. It is people and stones. So because of how much of that fuel will be placed in it, it will blaze and it will blaze severely. Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala said, the Prophet sallallahu is therefore being told, and we as the Muslims are being told of the seriousness of this issue and how difficult it will be the fire to face because of the blazing nature of the fire. And Sadiq Hassan Khan rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir, he said that the fire has reached the extremes of all heat that there is no heat, no blaze, no severity of burning that is greater or beyond what Allah Azza wa has placed within the fire. May Allah Azza wa save us from that. And I'm going to conclude by mentioning a number of hadith, two or three hadith, that the Prophet Wasallam mentioned concerning the severity of the fire, because obviously as one of the ways that we make tafsir is by taking the sunnah and bringing that into the verses of the Qur'an where appropriate, in the hadith on Sahih Muslim of Abu Huraira radiallahu an, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the fire that you have in this world is only one seventieth, one in seventy parts of the fire of the hereafter. It is only one of seventy parts of the fire of the hereafter. So even the most intense blaze that we can have in the dunya, the most ferocious fire that can burn, is only one of seventy parts of the severity of the fire of hell, may Allah Azza wa save us from that. And then in terms of the severity of the fire of the dunya, it is limited in the sense that if a person was to fall into that fire, may Allah protect us from such a thing, that person wouldn't last very long and they would very shortly die. But in the akhirah, the fire of the hell, there is no death. And that punishment continues and continues for eternity. In the other hadith of An-Nu'mani ibn Bashir radiallahu anhumah, also in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the least of the people of the fire in punishment will be the one who has two shoes or two sandals made of fire. Because of it, their brain will boil because of the fire. So the fire will only reach their ankles, it will only be up to their shoes, meaning up to their ankles, and their brain will boil because of it. That person will think that there is no one worse than them in terms of punishment in the fire. Just as we said about Jannah, the last person to enter to Jannah will think there is no one greater than them in reward in Jannah. Likewise, the person of the fire was the least punishment will think that there is no one worse off in the fire 
والعياذ بالله and finally the hadith of Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه البخاري that the Prophet said صلى الله عليه وسلم the fire complained to its Lord and it said indeed and that's from the, the attributes of the fire that have been established in the sunnah that Allah has given it the ability to speak as he has to Jannah the fire, will, the fire said O oh my Lord parts of me have devoured other parts so Allah gave it permission for two breaths one in the summer and one in the winter so the severe heat that you find and the bitter coldness that you find it is from the breaths or the breathing of the fire and that brings us to the end of this surah, the tafsir of Surah Al-Qari'ah, inshallah ta'ala, next week, we will be going on to the tafsir of Surah Al-Adiyat. Uh, just to look at if there's any questions here. If you can also give us some advice on how to manage the amount of knowledge now available because so much and one almost gets overwhelmed. My best advice to you, honestly, is to find something structured rather than just listening to, and there will be times when you may want to be with your family and listen to the odd general lecture, the odd you know, iman-boosting kind of reminder. But what I would really advise you to do is to look at something that is structured. Whether it's something like this or something more often, and you know, there's so much stuff now online, whether it's a, a fiqh text or a seerah series, or whether it's tafsir and Quran or hadith of the Prophet, you know, how much of us have really, how many of us have actually really stood and, and, and spent time learning hadith, reading books like you know Nawawi's uh, 40 hadith or Bulugh al Maram or you know, Sheikh Wali Basuni at the moment is doing a, an explanation of the book of etiquettes from Bulugh al-Maram. Um, you know, if someone is doing something like Al-Bukhari or, or one of those amazing collections of hadith, now is the time that you can actually read and go back and, and look at those types of, of issues uh, and those types of, of, um, of series of lectures. And it is extremely important to do so, to use that time and make it beneficial for yourself and learn Quran and encourage your family and your children and other people to do so as well. Uh, just two announcements. The first one is that inshallah ta'ala next week because we have a time change. The hours, the clocks go uh, forward and now in the UK this weekend. Our class next week inshallah ta'ala, the live session will begin at 8.30pm. So 8.30pm UK time. And tomorrow's lesson, Logical Progression by Sheikh Abu Isa, Ni'matullah, his usual LP lesson which is at 8.30pm, is going to speak about the rulings of COVID-19. So he's going to cover a lot of the fiqh issues. Uh, that I touched upon very briefly, but he will go into it in far more detail and, and I'm sure in a, in a far better manner than I have done today. Uh, whether it's burials and, and whatever else he may be, I'm sure he's going to cover all of them. And as I said, he's one of the people that helped me, um, gave me advice on, in terms of putting this paper together as well. So may Allah Azza wa keep us all safe and keep us all healthy. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring his protection upon us and our communities. And may Allah Azza wa Reward us for our patience in this difficulty and make it a means of increasing our reward and expiating our sins. Barakallahu fikum wa sallallahu ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.